Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and the author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all sorts of information related to wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners know, we always pride ourselves in having not only high-quality guests, but also guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and can help us to do so, too. As listeners to the podcast know, we always have guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and can help us to do so from their own perspective. Today's guest is very special in this regard. Vanessa Bogenholm is a personal trainer and ultra-marathon runner and author of a really unique fitness book. I've seen the proofs of it. It's it's really terrific. It's called It's Your Body, Move It, Love It, Live. She's made a tremendous transformation in her own life from being an overweight, out of shape 10-year-old to becoming a marathon runner while she was still in high school. And her fitness journey has continued and expanded beyond that. Since then, she has really helped lots of others to make tremendous transformations and achieve the bodies that they want and deserve by recognizing, and I think this is really critical, by recognizing that a healthier life is a choice. It's something that we try and impress from both a mental health and physical health standpoint. People have so much choice over the way that they're going to lead their lives. And I think you're going to hear tremendous examples of it in just a few minutes. So with that as a background, and I want to express my tremendous happiness for uh, having Vanessa on our show. Vanessa, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. I'm so anxious to be learning from you. Thanks, Ron. I'm really happy to be here. Well, it's great having you. And uh, I mentioned that, you know, you, you really, it's not like you came out of the womb as an exercise here and so on, that you actually experienced what, what a lot of kids do experience when that's uh, kind of a sedentary, overweight lifestyle. So I think it might be helpful for many of the listeners who may either themselves be out of shape or who may have kids or grandchildren who are out of shape. Maybe you can run by a little bit about your own personal journey. I know you go into great detail about it in, in the book, which which is sure. fantastic. And I thank you. We'll, we'll get all the information out to the listeners before we quit. But tell us a little bit about how you got to be who you are today. Sure. So I was incredibly overweight as a child. And it was kind of the way my family was. I didn't even know I was overweight until some girls in school in the fifth grade told me I was overweight. I just didn't know it. I just thought I was the big girl. 
I wore husky size 18 jeans from Montgomery Wards and from Sears. I couldn't wear the cute little clothes that girls wore. And that was just the way I was. I didn't think anything of it. I was last to be picked when they did a basketball team or a softball team during PE. It wasn't athletic. And I grew up in a small town where everyone played basketball. And my mom really hoped that I would play basketball. And so I went to the little tryout summer camp and the coach was super nice and just said, Vanessa, maybe you want to get fit before high school starts. And this was 1980. And since 1972, Frank Shorter was my hero. And I never thought I could be an athlete like Frank Shorter, the marathoner, but I wanted to actually have his character of working so hard and running 140 miles a week. I just thought that man had like such amazing character. So my whole plan was to go out and run the next day. And I went and bought the shoes and got my sweats all ready and got up at five o'clock in the morning to go run. And the fat little girl with asthma ran 23 steps and sat down and cried because she realized she was fat and couldn't do it. And then as I walked home in tears, I decided what if this one time I didn't quit on everything in life, I actually maybe did 24 steps. And so I turned around and ran again. And this time I ran 26. And then that started off this whole journey of deciding to change my life. And by the end of summer, I had lost 60 pounds and looked like a whole different person when I went to high school and ran my first marathon at 15 and won my first marathon at 16. Wow. So that's kind of the beginning journey. Yeah, that's really a fantastic <laughs> story. I think also it may be interesting to know that, I mean, you were a very motivated youngster when you set your mind yes. to things. Yes. Uh, including earning money because uh, you in your book, I read that you did something that a lot of us have difficulty doing, you know, at any stage in life. And that yeah. was that you actually bought a house for your family. So, yeah, you know, um, this is such a funny thing because it is something that everybody is really picks out of the book. And when it's your life, you don't think that big of a deal. My parents, my father especially, could not keep a job. Um, we lived in a single wide mobile home. I hated it more than anything. I went to work at the age of 10 or 11, cleaning horse stables. And then by the time I was 13, I was working at the county fairgrounds. And then right before I turned 14, I was assistant manager at a Western boot store. So I got jobs and I saved this money and went to the credit union and said, um, there's these new houses and I have enough money for the down payment. What do I need to do? And they said, have your mom sign with you. And me and my mother bought the house and my father not even knowing. It was a brand new house that was 66000 and I put $12,500 down. You know, and I think about that now, it's just the craziest thing ever. But the fact that I was this incredibly hardworking person all of my life, but I didn't look at my body the same way, right? That I looked at mentally what I was doing with, with my, my, my brain. I just didn't look at it the same way. And it really changed everything for me when I decided that my body could be the same thing. I could work at that the way that I worked to save money to buy a house. So that's what changed. Well, that's fantastic. Let me ask you something, because one of the first things that children learn to do is to play, to be active. I mean, they're active before they're sedentary. I mean, unfortunately, in some families, they start dunking yeah. them down in front of the TV at an early stage. Yeah. But, you know... The earliest school days, is there's a lot of movement and things of that nature. Why do people get out of shape? This may be a dumb question, but... but well, I, I do hear you? what you're saying, but I don't... 
You know, I don't think of my early childhood as being very active. And because both my parents were working full time, didn't have any money. I didn't do any after school sports. Let's be honest. You know, a lot of people that are doing sports or kids after school, that's that's paid. That's being paid for outside of the school system, right? So no, I didn't have that opportunity and just didn't have anyone to play with. I had to come home and be like a latchkey kid. And I think it has a lot to do with how your family raises you. So if you have a family that plays tennis on the weekends or goes on hikes, that's very different. I wasn't raised in that family. I was raised in a family of readers that everyone sat at the table and read books all day. So that was very different. Now, remember, I started to run in 1980. We didn't even have the marathon for women in the Olympics until 1984. So for women to run was very, very strange. They still told us that our uteruses would fall out, which is completely hysterical. And just wasn't, you didn't see runners like you see nowadays. You can step out of any house and anywhere in the United States and see someone running down the street and think nothing of it. But people thought it was strange back then to be running 10 or 11 miles a day, where it's not that big of a deal now. Well, what about if somebody is listening who's a parent of a young child? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that they can do to encourage the right attitude and habits as as a child goes? So I have a gentleman that it's fantastic what he does. Susie gets home from work. Him and the kids take the bikes out. There's no like discussion of how is schoolwork, how is anything. The priority is to get some exercise. So that way he structured it into his day. And the kids look forward to it. Dad's home from work. We're going for our bike ride. And then we can talk about our school day. And then we can talk about dinner, right? So you structure it into your lives and make it how you interact with other people. So all of my friends are runners or tennis players or weightlifters or personal trainers that do the same things that I do, right? Because I want to be around people that excite me and make me want to be a better person, whether it be mentally or physically. Well, let me ask about some of the challenges, because at least from my perspective in goal-achieving psychology, we Mm -hmm. always emphasize the importance of health and fitness, of Mm -hmm. social connectedness, and Mm -hmm. intellectual functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so when I encourage people to to do things from a physical standpoint, I will sometimes get excuses thrown at me. And uh, what are your answers to some of these? One is... uh, I'm uncoordinated, you know, I'm naturally a klutz. I'm not, you know, some people, they're they're naturals and I'm not. Well, I don't know anyone. I'm the most unathletic person you've ever met. And I taught a woman who was 65 years old to spiral a football for the first time in her life. So when her grandkids came for Thanksgiving, she could throw a football to her 11-year-old grandson. So that was like the coolest thing ever, right? So people can teach you. You can learn eye-hand coordination. And I've taught lots of people in their 40s and 50s, eye-hand coordination. So I try to make everything a game. Now, I like to work out by myself. I tend to be a loner personally. That's just my thing. Go out and run 10 miles in the morning before work. But if you're very social, you figure out something like tennis or golf or soccer that you do with other people. If that's the way you want to work out, whatever your mentality is, you make that work and try lots of different things. You may decide today I like to ride a bicycle, but tomorrow I want to surf. It doesn't have to be the same all the time. And you're going to learn. And anytime you do it a little bit, you're better than you were yesterday. And I think that's the most important thing is that nobody wakes up and poof, I just want a marathon. It doesn't happen that way. And you shouldn't expect it. 
we all do things incrementally better, right? And that's what we try to work on. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Just in terms of another excuse, I, I have to acknowledge that there was a time in my life when I'm ashamed to say that I used it too. I just don't have time. I'm building my career. My kids mm-hmm. take up a lot of time. That was probably a wrong way to say it. Take up a lot. Of time. <laughs> Spend a lot of time with the kids. Legitimately, I don't have. You know, if I came home, was single, had a job that enabled me to be home at three or four and the afternoon was still daylight and all that. Yeah, maybe. But what is your answer to people who don't have time? So, so it's structure, right? So really, all you really need is half an hour a day. Half an hour a day is 2% of your day. If you can't find 2% of your day to make yourself better, well, we got a problem. That's a mm-hmm. mental problem and not a time problem, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out where in the day. Now, everyone has a different time clock. I am wide awake at 4.30 in the morning. It is the biggest energy time of my day. I exercise at 4.30 in the morning and I run at 4.30 in the morning with a light because that's that's who I am. I don't like to run in the evenings. I see clients all day long and that's just what fits my body clock. So if you have a body clock that's a morning body clock, you do not try to work yourself out after work in the evening. You'll have failure every day. So wherever your biggest energy is, that's where it is, either morning or afternoon or evening. So if it's, I have a lot of clients that if they're an afternoon workout person, but for whatever reason, we switch them to a morning, their workouts are horrible. They're just not, that's not the way their body clock works. So know your body clock first and then figure out how to put that day in of half an hour to an hour, four to five days a week that you're exercising. That's really interesting because as I think about it, things changed for me was when I started working out right before dinner. That seemed to, to really work at the end of the work yeah yeah, I tried to force it in the morning like you do but I I wasn't that doesn't work person so a a big group of people I've I've worked with medical patients much of my Mm -hmm. life and Mm -hmm. pain is I think one of the, the biggest challenges or should probably is for somebody like yourself because you know it's hard to uh get motivated to work out when you're in pain Mm -hmm. and to realize that the more sedentary you stay, the worse the pain becomes. Mm -hmm. So, and everybody experiences pain, mental or physical. I've never had a client walk in the door that didn't have pain of some kind. One of the really common ones is arthritis and people tend not to move and they realize if they move more, they feel better. So we have to get a constant structure of movement, making sure that your weight is not causing you more pain and So it's very common when people gain 20, 30, or 40 pounds, all their joints start to ache. So we just got to really work on getting that weight off of you to make you weigh less, which helps the joints out tremendously. That brings up another category of people who I think probably close to half of our listeners are in their senior years. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, is there a point when you're too old or if you haven't done it or how, how do you encourage people to break some really long standing patterns of not working. So I think this is a great, so most of my clients really in my career have been over the age of 70 and it has been phenomenal. What really made me, so I got people out of wheelchairs. I've helped people walk again after breaking their back and people that just didn't exercise their entire lives. I had a gentleman, he was 74 and everything was bad. His hips were blown out. He had congestive heart failure that was going quickly, all of these things, right? 
And when I said to him, so what kind of sports did you do in your life? He said, oh, when I was a kid, I would play ping pong with my dad. And that was the only thing he'd ever done. Hmm. And to me, it was like, nothing else? Well, no. What else do you do? I do crossword puzzles. So we had to decide what we were going to do, right? So we were going to walk and how we were going to get there and all that thing we had to do. And he loved taking his walks. And then he'd listen to books on tape and everything was fantastic. But he had never done anything and was shocked that even at 74 with congestive heart failure, that he could get strong enough to walk for an hour a day and love it. So, I mean, getting, I got one of my main characters in the book is a guy named Jack. The only person I actually used his real name. And Jack was someone who was in a motorized wheelchair in a retirement community who I got to walk on a walker. And it was one of my best friends and who I dedicate the book to, who taught me how to take care of people, really. And we had a blast. But I would play basketball with him in his wheelchair and would make him reach for things he didn't want to reach for, would make him play soccer with me in the wheelchair, getting his muscles moving, getting him laughing. And then all of a sudden say, hey, let's just get up, get on the walker. Oh, you're going to get up again. Okay, well, I'm going to take the walker away. So it all just was about getting muscle development. So I knew he would succeed once I got him to stand up. Fantastic stories, which leads to the question of just what should determine whether somebody needs or should go to a personal trainer? Well, so this is such an interesting thing. And I think, you know, most people who come to see me are really scared of hurting themselves. They've tried to do an exercise program hurt themselves, didn't know what to do when they went to a big commercial gym, were very self-conscious. So in my situation, I'm one-on-one privately with people. So there's no embarrassment and you don't, no one has ever got, hundreds of people have seen me have never gotten hurt. So there's that, that works out really well. And I really suggest that even if you can only afford once or twice a month with a personal trainer to give you a program, try that so that you feel really secure and safe. And now we have so many apps and other things that a personal trainer can monitor you when you're not with you. I'll have all my clients wear Garmin watches, understand what their heart rates mean to them, understand what their sleep cycles are, all those things. And then we can monitor them and see what changed. I think it's fascinating when people will realize that their sitting heart rate can go down from 80, 85 to 62, 63 after a couple of years and how much better they feel. It's a constant reminder of the progress they've made. So You know, that's the kind of thing. And I think, you know, people are surprised that 70-year-olds come to see a personal trainer. They're not fit people. I have, you know, kids that are overweight that come see me and, you know, CEOs on lots of drugs and prescription drugs that, you know, have cholesterol problems and heart problems and all kinds of people come to see me. That's really important guidance. And, uh, you know, I think in some ways, a lot like what I tell people with respect to going to therapy, that it's almost, I've used it as... Some people may need really deep therapy, but for a lot of people, it can be like the mental health equivalent of going to the gym and seeing a personal trainer just in terms of help with coping strategies and so on. I do have to ask you something. I I hope it's not embarrassing, but, um, (laughs) you know, having read through the book, I see a lot of emphasis on weight and things of that nature. And I just have to ask you, there, there seems to be a trend among people's kind of sticking up for the nature of, uh, you know, kind of loving your body, no matter what it looks like and things of this nature, calling things like fat shaming and stuff like this. 
What's your stand with respect to that? I mean, is overweight always bad? Is it uh, a self-image thing or, you know? Okay, we are now in the time of COVID and we know that the number one reason people are dying is because they're obese. Currently in the United States, 78% of the population is either overweight or obese. And the more poverty, the more obesity. Birmingham, Alabama, the center of obesity, child obesity in Birmingham, Alabama is 42%, with 35,000 is the average house income. So this is just horrendous. And this is painful. This is painful to the kids emotionally and physically. We know even when you're 20 or 30 pounds overweight, you don't physically feel as well. You can't sleep as well. Everything hurts. And we can say, don't don't criticize people. Of course, you don't criticize them. But you don't tell them that this is an okay way to live. You help them get to a healthy weight so that they feel comfortable in their own bodies. I've never had someone come to me and say, you know, I think I look super hot at 100 pounds overweight, Vanessa. What do you think? It's just never happened. I see the tears that people come in with because they're so amazed that they got to this point and they don't know how they can get out of it. I've helped so many people lose thousands of pounds by just that one pound at a time. And I'm not asking you to give up everything in the world here and live on celery. That's not it at all. If you have dinner with your family at six o'clock every night, restructure your diet around your social time so that you still enjoy your life. But realize if you lose one pound a week, that's 50 pounds in a year. And that is incredibly doable by doing some pretty minor modifications and understanding why you use food and how you use food. Okay, which leads to the question of, you you had mentioned COVID, and Mm -hmm. I think that this is, aside from, you know, the real tragic deaths and, Mm -hmm. you know, really destructive uh, nature that it's caused with some people, but for a lot of people, I know a lot of people put on weight. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people are just, their lifestyles have been changed because of, say, not going into work uh, or working remotely or being in proximity to a refrigerator when they're doing their job or so on. What are you suggesting just in terms of whether it's COVID-related or not COVID-related, Are there some general guidelines in terms of lifestyle management that you can suggest for somebody who wants to lead a healthy life? The first thing is for every client. So I do things in stages with my clients. The first thing is water. Everybody has to drink 30 ounces of water first thing in the morning and 30 ounces of water again around two or three in the afternoon, all day, every day, regardless of anything else you drink, period. And that's not even, if you come in my studio and you say, Vanessa, I won't drink water, then I say we're done. Because if you're not even willing to drink water and you need to lose weight, it will never happen. So if we can start with that, then that just just itself takes three weeks for people to adopt that habit, right? And then we figure out, when are you really hungry? This is such a great question to people. Why do you eat? Are you eating out of boredom? Are you eating snacking all day at your computer? Do you even know what you're eating? Do you even enjoy what you're eating? We have to analyze your relationship with food. Do you eat because it's noon? I should eat lunch. If you're not hungry, why are you eating? And if you feel like you're craving something, I had a client to me, say to me one day, Vanessa, I actually finished my walk and I felt like I should eat an orange. And I go, did you eat an orange? No, I had a sandwich. It was lunchtime. And I go, but your body was telling you it needed vitamin C. Oh, it was, huh? 
Well, yes, because you just exercise and it needs it for cellular development. But in her mind, this is what her habitual food habit was. So we break habitual food habits. Yeah, that's so important. I can't, uh, again, it's another embarrassing thing, but I worked in an office where either when people came back from vacations or sometimes vendors would bring in, you know, donuts or cakes Mm -hmm. or foods or whatever it was. And I used to take my clue from the fact that it was there. You know, if it was there, I better take it because it may not be there if (laughs) I'm hungry later. Uh, And I really lost uh, quite a few pounds just by doing those two things that you said uh, really is, you know, just using hunger as more of the clue than whether it's there. And the other thing, um, although I didn't realize it was conforming with with your plan, is I do have coffee at breakfast, but basically drink water for anything else most of the rest of the day. And one of the things that I've noticed certainly is once you change those dietary habits, you don't really, not only you don't miss it, but you don't order something that's sweet, that's right. you know, because you don't crave it. You don't crave it. And one of the interesting things about things like potato chips that you see people eat huge amounts of, it's because there's no nutrients in it and your body keeps craving these nutrients. So people tend to overeat these fat, salty laden things going, but I'm hungry all the time. Your body's hungry for some real nutrition. It's not hungry for fat, right? So realizing what your body is craving and what you're really needing. Yeah, that's uh, something I have. One thing I'm kind of proud of, but it may be something you put me down for. But I did kind of like potato chips, but I found that mm-hmm. once a day, if I take four fully formed ones, you know, not broken ones, uh, that, that's right? up my count, that that's, you know, that's pretty satisfying. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. It's funny that you say four, too. I have a woman that says four, too, which I think is so interesting. Did that you guys right? count your potato chips? Okay, <laughs> if it works for you. But, you know, she's incredibly beautiful and thin. So, yes, there yeah, you go. Yeah. That's what I said. People think I'm crazy whenever I mention it because they oh, no. say you got it, not eat it at all. or you, you, you know. No, yeah. I, I am never in the not. So why would I want to deprive myself in life of anything that brings me enjoyment? If potato chips or M&Ms or whatever bring you enjoyment, I am never going to deny that to you. It's not harmful if you eat it in a small amount, right? Four potato chips is never going to hurt you. It's good to know. Uh, So as we're nearing the end, first of all, what does a training session with you look like? If somebody comes to you, what what, what happens? So I'm in my San Jose location. I see people one-on-one and people usually see me twice a week is the norm. Some see me three times a week, some just once. The sessions are an hour long. We spend five or 10 minutes warming up. I talk to you, make you talk to me, tell me what's going on in your life, what hurts. I really check for imbalances that you may not have noticed. Make sure your posture's not wrong. People that sit at their desks all the time, their necks are stuck forward, that kind of thing, work on the posture. We do cardio for about 12 to 15 minutes. I have quite a few different machines or we may jump rope. It depends. Do weight workout. Everyone does weight workout, whether they be nine years old or 85. And then um, toward the end, we're doing mat workout where we're doing, um, you know, core workout, that kind of thing and stretching stuff. So that's what the average hour looks like with me. And most clients see me twice a week. And then I give them another couple of workouts to do in their own time that I also monitor. 
Okay, and you're in San Jose, California. I, I'm in San Jose, California. I also have a boxing kickboxing gym that I own in Las Vegas, Nevada, that I go to once every couple of weeks for a day or two. And that's where I have group classes, and that's Fitness 23 Las Vegas. And I also do on Recess TV, I do live classes. Um, I also do Zoom classes with people when they have particular things. One of the things that I'm really known for is um, Hegelin's deformity, which is that bump on the back of your heel that bothers people's Achilles tendon when they run. 30% of people have that. And many marathoners have that. And I actually know how to take care of it really well. So on YouTube, you can see how I take care of that and still run 50 miles a week and marathon and all that kind of stuff. So and I'm really great about helping people get over injuries. So sometimes I'll Zoom with people to figure out an exercise program to get over their injuries. And um, yeah, so people can see me online or they can uh, come to one of my gyms. Well, if they can't get to one of the gyms, where how do they find you online? So uh, fitness-23.com will get them everywhere and it'll get them to my nonprofit, to my books, of course, to either gym, to doing a Zoom call, all my emails, but fitness-23.com. Okay. And we will have that in the show notes so people will be able to, to deal with it. It's really terrific. I think the uh, one remaining thing, while we've mentioned your book, can you tell us a little bit about, and, and I believe it's coming out, well, it probably will be out when this when this airs, because it's right. September 7th, I believe. That's, that is correct. September 7th, it comes out. It's your body, move it, love it, live. And it is not just the story of me, but it is the story of how my clients got fit, whether they had to lose 100 pounds, or they were a suicidal teenager, or they were in a wheelchair. I talk about reality of obesity and about legs oozing and people dying. And I'm, I talk about stuff that no one wants to talk about with obesity. And um, I mentioned three people that, that passed away while I was working with them that were over 100 pounds overweight. I want people to realize you don't see people that are severely overweight in their 80s for a reason mm. because they pass away from heart problems, strokes, and diabetes. So think about that when we think about body positivity. And you know, everybody wants to live a life in their 80s, like you, with as little pain as possible and still being able to take care of yourself. So the more physically active you are and the more fit you stay, the healthier you're going to be for a great life when you're retired. And I really want people to realize that. Yeah, and with people living longer, it can be quite a difference between living it with a high quality of life as opposed to kind of declining. And uh, right, you, you, you do so much to help people lead a high quality of life. I was fortunate enough to see the preview copy of your book, and I can just yep. tell people it's really just a really combination of inspirational things as well as some real practical advice on how to stay fit. And so you've really honored us, Vanessa, with appearing on this podcast. It'll help so many people. And I'm very grateful that you came on Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser and want to wish you the very best of success as you continue your excellent work. Thanks, Ron. It was a pleasure. And on that note, this brings another podcast to a close. Then our special guest, Vanessa Bogenholm, who I, I know I'm going to re-listen to it. I encourage you all to, as well as getting her book. Again, the, the difference in quality of life between being in shape and not being in shape is not only quite remarkable, but also, as she indicates, it is a choice. 
and uh, can either make a dumb choice or a smart choice. Uh, would like to think that my listeners are intelligent enough to make smart choices. So until next time, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser. We're going to be signing off. Remember to visit the Mental Health Gym page of our website and also social media pages. And also make sure you pick up the books, both mine and hers. Will, will yours be on Amazon or how will people get Yeah, it? it'll be everywhere September 7th. It'll be on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Book Baby. And you can get signed copies from fitness-23.com. I'll have signed copies for you. But yeah, it's, it's available everywhere September 7th. Okay, terrific. So until next time, remember, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. So everybody stay safe out there and stay healthy. Please tell your friends about the podcast, download it, uh, review it, make your comments, and be back next week for another really, really interesting guest. Thanks a lot.